Welcome to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. My guest today is working on a really big idea, that of maintaining the biological integrity of at least some parts of our Mother Earth. Biological integrity is a way of evaluating an ecosystem. When all parts of the system are functioning at close to an optimal level, we can say that the biological integrity of that area is high. My guest is Chris Searles, founder of BioIntegrity. Chris has fused the words biological and integrity to create his nonprofit organization, whose goals are to preserve parts of the world, such as tropical forests. These forests are worth preserving in themselves, but perhaps more so when we realize that they have a major impact on our climate through the reduction of carbon emissions and the absorption of greenhouse gases. Welcome to Mothering Earth, Chris, and give us the capsule description of your organization, BioIntegrity. I formed the word BioIntegrity simply as a domain name to express that idea that protecting the most vibrant and vital living systems on the planet is our biggest solution to climate change. And our most important one relative to the sort of the future of, of life itself. Um, so biological integrity or biointegrity um, denotes this idea that um, ecosystems, the living systems that make life possible on our planet that are populated by other organisms of all shapes and sizes from the you know microbial all the way to the macro, um, the redwoods and, and blue whales and so forth, that, that those ecosystems are that they have the ability to continuously create new life, just like you're always making new eyelashes and always digesting food and so on and so forth. Um, you have to have consistent biological productivity for life to continue. And that's a concept that we just don't really have at the moment in society. But we also use biointegrity, the word, uh, around the idea of the quality of eco that ecosystems are able to create new life. Uh, meaning, you know, that could be degraded, it could be wild and super uh, abundant. Um, and then biointegrity.net, um, the, the, the concept of the organization we're calling biointegrity, um, that's really my project. It's a, it's a one-man team with a lot of supporters, and I've got a founding board and a, a series of business advisors and so forth. Uh, and we're moving into forming the nonprofit. So we, we're about halfway there in terms of having the the people we need to fund a really stable or form a really stable nonprofit. Um, but the vision of that biointegrity, that organization where we capital B I O and then capital I on integrity, um, is that we want to help heal the world, uh, by healing its, its living systems, the most basic aspect of life itself. We have grown so rapidly in the last 50 years and in the last 200 years that we have radically reduce the number of productive ecosystems on our planet. <clears throat> um, and that addressing that problem, the, the loss of what, what I call biospheric resources, the resources that, again, are constantly in biological productivity, addressing that problem is the most fundamental um, aspect of any civilization uh, in terms of its ability to to thrive, you know, we can't do anything if we don't have food and clean water and oxygen um, and relatively stable um, local climate and biological productivity. Uh, and so that I think thinking of the world through a biointegrity lens instead of through a per se a conservation lens or an environmental lens or a 
business lens or development lens. The, the biointegrity is the, the ability of the living systems to continuously um, produce a biosphere, whether you're talking about at your personal bodies level or at this global planetary level. Wow. And so, yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's a huge mission. <clears throat> yeah. And, and how do you, uh, in a practical sense, what, what is it you're doing to accomplish that? Right now, we're doing the level one priority, um, and so I'm out there mostly right now via the web, uh, but also as often as possible in person with presentations in, in various settings, uh, schools, churches, businesses, et cetera, um, talking about this number one priority, which is the what we call the vital organ ecosystems of the planet. So the, the tropical or the equatorial ecosystems are the ones that are both the, by far the most concentrated in terms of their biological productivity or their life support resources productivity, but also in terms of um, now being the most under attack and disappearing the fastest. Um, but as well, addressing that and reversing that is the most systemic solution we have to climate change. It benefits us. And I wanted to know what's the number one solution to climate change and what's the number one solution to the extinction crisis. Mm -hmm. And the narrative in the environmentalist media is that the extinction crisis is being driven by climate change. So I figured they would be connected. And I didn't know if it was solar panels or electric cars or, you know, recycling or yeah. plastic in the ocean. What is it? And I just started looking to see where species are congregated on Earth and at least half of Earth's biodiversity is in the tropical forest uh, systems. Tropical forest old growth systems are being deforested at a rate of about an acre a second. And that has been going on essentially my whole lifetime. I'm nearly 50. And so it's about the last 50 years that this incredible expansion of human population has caused us to kind of expand laterally and consume without replenishment. And unfortunately, we're doing it at this vital organ ecosystem level at the moment. And so protecting the last of the original ecosystems in the tropical forests um, is priority one. And um, beyond that, then it gets into um, the same in, in the oceans. And this, the oceans have a lot more popularity um, than the forest for some reason. But then it gets into, after that, restoration of those systems, um, again, because those two big ideas, protecting and restoring the, the vital organ aspect of the planet has the most benefit for the whole planet. And then there's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, in ecosystems and wildernesses, just you know, globally, worldwide. What is this land being taken over for? Why are we doing this? They are torching forests Primarily, I think, because once those lands are cleared of the forest canopy, then they can flip them and sell them for a lot more money. Um, but the official data is that um, that's number one cause of deforestation is land clearing by fire or other means for cattle, for, for beef production. Mm -hmm. uh, number two is agriculture, which is everything from soy and corn to um, palm oil. Uh, and other smaller commodities. Uh, and then number three would be kind of development interests, mining and uh, oil and um, 
putting in roads, putting in dams, putting in pipelines, uh, and building little settlements so that people can continue to go further into the forest and, and pull out more commodities. And, and, you know, poaching is in that kind of commodities category also. And then it varies from region to region around the planet. Um, there's sort of three big regions. There's the Asian islands. Right now, there's three big regions. There's, there's a lot more to it than that. But there's, the, there's Asia, Africa, and South America. Um, or South and Central America, and they're, they're kind of largely characterized in, in those ways uh, in terms of the problems. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Chris Searles, founder of BioIntegrity. And uh, we were just talking about uh, forest degradation and uh, sort of destruction of these lands uh, that affects our entire Earth in terms of... Uh, basically destroying uh, species and plants and animals and everything, uh, as I understand it, uh, which, of course, affects our entire climate. Um, what, what, kinds of, uh, what kinds of things is biointegrity doing in order to protect these forests? We are right now, because again, I'm, I'm really a one-man team on a day-to-day basis with a lot of advisors and supporters. Um, so we are promoting uh, the most globally strategic and most economically efficient conservation solutions. Conservation meaning protecting of the forests. And so um, I'm uh, directing people. I, I basically give an informational presentation or an educational presentation telling people about the value of these forests uh, and the urgency of action. And then saying, if you want to do something right now, check out our website or, you know, take this card and, and follow through on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people will donate to an, an American nonprofit organization. Um, and there, that funding will go into what's called um, community-based development and conservation uh, in a given place in the world. Right. So for the, the last year, I've been promoting a project in Peru for um, Peruvian Amazon and community-based development means that the indigenous people that are living on those lands and have been living there, in this case, they're some of the oldest um, indigenous people in the Americas. This culture, this particular culture has got a continuous uh, history. Um, they won't be forced off of their lands. They'll be allowed to continue living in their traditional ways, and they'll be included in the monitoring and securitization of those lands over the, you know, the next era. The indigenous people really are the sustainable peoples and we're really not the sustainable peoples. They've been there for a long time. They're not perfect either, um, but they are um, of a different sort of fundamental cosmology. And so there's a, there's a lot of really, really beautiful potential for every living creature really on earth as we move forward and find ways to integrate what they know, what their wisdom is with our technology and our values and um, protect their um, cosmology through these wildernesses that they've occupied for however long um, as living ecosystems that continuously um, produce life support services for the whole planet. Right. So it sounds like a really (laughs) delicate balance between um, sort of bringing people, uh, indigenous people, into a more modern era without destroying the culture that they have. Yeah, because the other option has been to either, you know, annihilate them so that you can steal their land, as we've seen all over, uh, or to kind of put them in a position where they can't 
survive any longer on their land. So they go into the generally the slums of a city and don't have skills to even understand what paying rent is or what have you, you know, and it, it fractures or destroys their culture. You're listening to Mothering Earth. This is Salwa Khan, and I'm speaking with Chris Searles, founder of BioIntegrity. Right now, it's time for a break. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Chris Searles, founder of BioIntegrity. Um, and uh, you were talking about uh, the rainforests in Peru and the value of the projects that you're supporting there. We were talking about the carbon reduction, the emissions reduction that comes from letting old-growth tropical forests stand uh, and continue to live. But they also they store an enormous amount of um, carbon above and below ground, and and of course in the living species of animals and um, plants that are uh, moving, or I guess plants aren't moving as much. But anyway, the the species that are living on the ecosystem as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, at that biointegrity uh, forward slash, slash solutions, um, there's a mapping showing. The, pl- the entire planet and then the carbon density, what we call above and below ground biomass. Uh, and this area of Peru is basically as dark as it gets, um, meaning there are at least 200 tons of uh, stored carbon dioxide emissions in that living system. Since every living thing has carbon in it, um, the systems that are the most biodiverse tend to be the, the richest in carbon because the soil system is, is vibrant, the vegetation is dense and vibrant, and that means that a lot of other things can live on top of it. So um, the a human or the average American lifetime carbon, what we call carbon footprint, probably most people listening to this are familiar with that. Um, if you live to be 90, it would be around 1800 tons for your entire life, but an acre of old growth tropical forest um, or tropical rainforest is gonna contain conservatively um, 200 tons or so of stored carbon. So if that carbon is incinerated, then all of that stuff goes into the atmosphere. If it's chopped down and allowed to dry out and become fallow, um, a lot of that goes into the atmosphere. But if it's allowed to keep living, you know, you can say that the, every time you protect nine acres of trop- old, old growth rainforest, you're offsetting your personal carbon footprint. So I've got donors who have offset hundreds and thousands of people's carbon lifetime carbon footprints just by protecting these old ecosystems. Um, and then we have, and on the website, there are several mappings showing this at different levels of detail. Then there's also the fact that um, these tropical forest canopies are remarkable uh, as heat sinks. And they're also moisture sinks, but this heat sink thing of the canopy itself, they're the, they're the most layered canopied forest systems on Earth. They're the oldest living systems on Earth. They're way older than the coral reefs. The coral reefs are, uh, the current coral reefs are at most about 10 to a few more thousand years than that old, 10 to 15,000 years old. The, the tropical forests, the old growth systems, like the ones in the Amazon and Asia and Africa are tens of millions of years old, um, up to around 100 million years old. And so 
They're the most integrated living systems. They're actually the one ecosystem that made it through the last major um, extinction event that took out the dinosaurs of 65 million years ago and the planet was dark for about 5 million years and then life started to reemerge through the tropical forests. Right. Um, and there's more to say on that. But, but this heat sink capacity of the canopies means that at the hottest, absolute hottest part of the planet, the part that's closest to the sun, um, the sunlight itself is absorbed at a rate of about 95 to 99% of it being taken in by the vegetation. That sunlight never reaches the forest floor. Uh, yeah. And then one other big picture idea on this is this, this uh, moisture sink and moisture circulation function that tropical forests uniquely provide the whole planet. So as this planet rotates, uh, the sun warms the oceans and the lands from east to west 365 days a year and evaporation takes place and transpiration and moisture moves atmospherically around the entire planet in a circular fashion that kind of um, shifts depending on the time of year north and south of the equator. But these tropical forests are absolutely responsible for characterizing how that flow works. So I call that the tropical moisture conveyor belt. And um, we have reduced the, the amount of tree cover in the tropics by at least 50% in the last 45 years or so. So we've radically changed the ability of that moisture cycling at global scale to stay consistent and to manage atmospheric moisture systems. And so they pull in um, the heat from the oceans. And actually, tropical forests at massive scale certainly have the ability to reduce the incidence of extreme hurricanes. Um, we need to regrow them quickly and catch up. Since that moisture conveyor belt is at the center of the planet, that means both that atmospheric moisture is uh, rebalanced um, well, it means that because that system is at the center of the planet, it interacts with both hemispheres. It's the only system that interacts with northern and southern hemispheres on the planet. And that has the effect um, of reducing the amount of moisture that's sort of free-flowing in the atmosphere. It could be pulled back into those trees and back into that moisture cycling and really protect us from storms like Harvey and Maria and worse, and also um, hopefully reduce the incidence of drought and blizzard and extreme freeze, extreme uh, right. high days, and so on and so forth. There are, in fact, uh, you know, very uh, real and practical um, consequences that uh, occur from the destruction of these rainforests in terms of the climate that we experience every day. Yes, yeah. I have a meme that I like to use a lot, that ecosystems are Earth's vital organs. Right. And uh, we've... We've just radically reduced the number of ecosystems and their size on our planet. When you when you look at intact wildernesses now, it's basically a little bit of the Amazon, a little bit of the Congo, and the deserts and the forests that are frozen half of the year. Everything else has been infiltrated by um, civilization, and so we have to protect the remaining wild functionality and restore functionality by integrating civilization and uh, what most people will call nature you know, vegetation right. Um, right. as fast as we can. So how do you find projects that, that you want to support with your fundraising? Uh, I have three partners that are uh, nonprofit partners I work with now. Global Wildlife Conservation is um, an international organization based out of Austin, and they're rock star guys. Um, SavingSpecies.org is based out of North Carolina. 
um, and they're associated with National Geographic, and they do a lot of uh, corridor protection and restoration work uh, to rebuild broken ecosystems. And then Rainforest Trust is the uh, .org is the nonprofit I work with the most often because they have this incredible ability to go find um, these projects that are a, a dollar an acre or $25 an acre or you know $200 an acre in, in massive scale. So the one we were talking about in Peru, it's a dollar 11 an acre to protect that place. And Rainforest Trust has been on a real positive growth cycle now for the past five or more years. They've been around 30 years. I work through their um, various projects they have, they're offering for people to support. They're looking for support from, for rather, and find the one that has the greatest global ecological significance and, and the greatest economic efficiency and promote that to the people that I'm, that are following me and that I'm, you know, communicating with through presentations and right. social media and stuff. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here today with Chris Searles, founder of BioIntegrity. And you were just talking about the different projects that BioIntegrity supports. What can uh, people do if they wish to help? Well, um, of course, go to biointegrity.net forward slash solutions uh, and check out whatever we have there. Um, that will be the thing that has the biggest bang for the buck uh, at global scale. So what people can do is support these organizations that are doing the best work on community-based conservation and restoration of the most important old growth ecosystems on our planet. That, that should be priority one in our climate change uh, prevention efforts. Uh, and so at my website, they'll find the one that's the most globally impactful for the least amount of money. One other question, which is when I, I know a lot of this is about or it sounds like is about preserving what uh, currently exists, but is it also about reforesting some of these areas? Do, do these organizations um, deal with that as well? Yes, reforestation and uh, ecological restoration is the next priority, you know, number two on, right. the, on the global list of things that we can do that has the biggest systemic effect for the whole planet. And the good news is that Number one, um, rainforest ecosystems that have been destroyed will glow, grow back to closed canopy once they're successfully restarted, which is very easy to do. Uh, it's really one, two, three. They'll grow back in uh, three to five years to a closed canopy so that they'll be, you know, without the need of any help from right. a forest steward, as it were, within a few years. But loosely speaking, we protected now with matching donations around 160,000 acres of tropical forests around the planet. Um, Austin is about 174,000 acres in total area, Austin proper. But each one of these acres has at least 200 trees on it. Uh, some people say 1,000 trees per acre. But so that means protecting these old growth systems, we've protected now over 32 million trees. Um, every large old growth tree in a temperate climate can filter up to 36,000 plus gallons of water per year, which is about enough water for 360 people. So we've also, by protecting these trees, we're prote protecting around uh, 3 billion gallons worth of water filtration per year uh, as the water moves through these systems. They're also producing oxygen. So we're protecting oxygen production um, <clears throat> for if people were breathing directly from these forests, 
well over a million people per year. And then two more numbers, and then I'll stop. Um, I was talking about the annual um, annual carbon sequestration that comes from protecting these forests being kind of like solar panels. Um, and the, the reduction of greenhouse gases actually going into the atmosphere. So we're at um, now over 140,000 tons per year, conservatively speaking. So 140,000 tons per year plus is equivalent to offsetting over 7,000 people's carbon footprints per year, but it's also equivalent to over 100 billion vehicle miles of emissions that these trees are absorbing per year. Uh, and then the very last number is the amount of uh, stored carbon in these forests. And again, the, the conservative number on that is uh, over 43 million tons of living carbon or biologically productive carbon. Um, and that's equivalent to around uh, 200 and well, just round up to 300 billion vehicle miles worth of emissions that we're keeping out of the atmosphere by not letting these forests get burned to the ground. Those are very impressive numbers. Be sure to check out the BioIntegrity website at www.biointegrity.net. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth. Mm -hmm.